How good is that, hey? See, unlike the uh, real-life insurance commercials, these are not paid actors. <laughs> these are people like you and like me. And I shared last week about Louise and my journey of becoming, getting out of debt and becoming financially free and being able to journey beyond that. Uh, Jared and Rochelle, that's their story. Some of you I know are on that journey right now. And hopefully... You're, uh, you know, we were here last week or even just the first time this morning hearing Jared and Rochelle's story and you're in debt, you may have been or be at a point where you think, well, that's just normal. Like Jared said, just normal. Everyone, everyone is. And the reality is it may be that in your sphere, in your workplace, in your broader family, everyone is. Doesn't mean that's God's best for you. And he actually does have a way out. And so hopefully this is an encouragement. And, and we've talked about uh, this series, Like a Boss. This is week three. And we've deliberately packaged it in a way where it's a four-week series and all four weeks matter. And I said in week one, it's like, this is like building a house with four walls. It's good to have all four walls when you're building a four-wall house. And all four weeks matter. So those of you who maybe missed a week, uh, maybe if you're here for the first time this week, whatever the, the case is, please, can I encourage you to go back and listen to the previous two weeks or, or, or any one of those that you might have missed, and let's see God piece that together in terms of Him showing you and showing us a, a, a more uh, complete picture of His perspective when it comes to money and stuff. Week one, we talked about faith and the faith component, and I love, you know, Jared and Rochelle's story picks that up. That, that it was their uh, poor tracking that got them into trouble, got them into debt, yet they didn't just rely on their own smarts to get out of debt. They actually put their trust in God and had faith working through the journey forward. They put a plan together. Last week, we talked about taking charge, becoming like a boss with the finances requires a plan, a plan to get out of debt. We talked about the debt snowball. Jared referenced that. You can check that out. Just, just ask the internet, debt snowball. It'll take you to Dave Ramsey's stuff. And uh, that's one approach uh, that we strongly use and, and recommend to get out of debt. And then beyond that, to actually build a plan of uh, taking the same sort of energy and momentum and the dollars that you've been applying to getting out of debt and start to actually build that into a future that involves savings, involves putting yourself in the mix and creating a better future for the generations to come. This morning, week three, I'm talking about generosity, about giving. Now, I'm aware that when somebody in a church, in this case me, says we're going to now talk about giving, that for some of you, automatically, it's like the Starship Enterprise, engage, defense, shields, because you're a bit skeptical Maybe a bit cynical. Maybe you've been in a church or, or seen a church or been around some other kind of churchy people where they haven't really handled this topic well. Maybe it's seemed a little bit self-interested or maybe they haven't actually taken your giving and, and, and done a good job with how it's been utilized. Um, we don't claim to be perfect, but uh, hopefully uh, over the next 25 minutes, hopefully, and my prayer is that some of your defenses, if you've got them up, that they'll actually come down and uh, you'll actually get a clearer picture of what God has for you when it comes to this area of giving and generosity. So to get started on that, little, a few little disclaimers for the skeptics. Uh, number one, I am paid by Elevate Church, though I'm not on commission, okay? As our giving goes up, my salary doesn't go up in some sort of percentage manner. And that might sound hilarious to you, but let me tell you, last year, 
I came across a job advertisement. I wasn't looking for a new job, by the way. I just heard about it. A job advertisement of a church that were looking for a new senior leader. And part of the role description was that your salary would be ratcheted with the giving of the church. So as the church's giving goes up, so you go up. That's not how things are structured here, okay? So you need to know that. Number two, we don't want something from you. We want something for you, and I'm going to unpack that this morning. Number three, we are teaching on giving. Elevate is not in financial trouble. This is not Elevate's annual telephone, okay? Understand. In fact, our giving's been consistently going up. And what I can tell you, because it's, well, it's great, you know, we are not Scrooge McDucking it doing snow angels in the safe out the back, okay? All oh, the piles of cash dropping stacks, okay? That's not happening. In fact, ultimately, our bank balance will be zero for as long as I'm leading this church. Now, we'll always have some cash reserves for emergencies, just like we encourage people to do in their own lives, three to six months of cash reserves. But we won't be stockpiling cash beyond that because... The reason we encourage people to give is so that we as a church can reach more and more people and be more effective so the cash doesn't sit anywhere. In fact, you're not giving to Elevate Church. We're giving through Elevate Church and ultimately giving to reach more and more people. I've got an itchy head. It's kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe it's because there's so much more room for the light to get through these days. Uh, number four, number four, first-time guests, please understand, we don't preach about this topic, giving generosity, all the time. This is actually kind of our annual one out of 52 where we do talk about that. So I became a follower of Jesus when I was 24. And uh, at the time, the church community that I became a follower of Jesus in, they actually didn't teach about giving. And the reason they didn't teach about giving is they didn't want to come across as trying to or be perceived as trying to rip people off. Now, a few years later, God led me into another church. And this, this other church, they actually were and did teach about what God has to say about finances and giving. And I'm grateful for that because I started to see, wow, God actually really doesn't want something from me. He really does want something for me. And so over the years, and it was in that church and very early on in my time in that church that I started giving. I started my journey of, of, uh, of giving my first 10%. And I came to realize that if a church doesn't teach on giving, then that church is ripping you off. Because God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And if we can get a clear, because we're hearing messages about giving our money all the time. It's not called giving. It's called spending. But people are in your grill all the time asking you to give them your money. And, and, and it's like, it's transactional. This is not transactional. This is all about the heart. And this is about something that God says, okay, let's not be tied down. Let's actually live free. And so I want to give, uh, take us on a bit of a flyover this morning and, and a bit of a flyover of what I've learned uh, in my time as a, someone who gives my first 10%, and obviously Louis and I give our first 10%. So I'm going to airdrop us into a, a, a story that Jesus taught. Now, if you've got our Elevate app, you can open that up, tap on the Bible tile. It's going to take you to something that Matthew recorded. And it's going to take you into the middle of what Matthew recorded. As, as we call, in broad terms, you zoom out, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon, which we don't use that word. It's kind of old school churchy, but it's like Jesus was teaching, and he was teaching on a mountain. So the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, nothing super spiritual about it. it. Just was He was saying stuff on a mountain. 
But he went on a teaching bender. I mean, if Matthew, who was there, an eyewitness, if he was, if he was taking dictation, man, that guy would have had some serious cramp issues going on because when G- Jesus lit up when he was teaching this stuff, he started to teaching about what people call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the... Matthew's like, man, someone bring me a feather. I gotta write this stuff down. He starts writing down. Jesus goes on teaching about salt and light, about murder, which by the way, he encourages us not to do. Uh, Adultery also encourages us not to do. Divorce, oaths, an eye for an eye, love for enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, boom, boom, boom. Then he drops this and then he keeps going. So I want to airdrop us into this slice of the Sermon on the Mount. He said to the people gathered, and he would say this to us today, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasure, treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. First of all, long before Marie Kondo took over Netflix, Jesus acknowledges that in all of us, there's a gravitational pull to want to store stuff up. And then he doesn't actually tell us to not store stuff up. He doesn't say, you you guys, you you like to store stuff up, don't store stuff up. No, store stuff up. Lean into that gravitational pull, but switch your priorities. And instead of just storing up stuff on earth, switch your focus, switch your your priorities to make sure that we store up treasures in heaven. Big idea, avoid obsessive accumulation. You know you can tell what's important to somebody by what they invest into it, by what time they invest into it, by what money they invest into it. You, You just look at that and you kind of reverse engineer it and you go, well, that must be important to them. And chances are you have got that one friend that you've made a mental note to yourself to never raise that particular topic, whatever it is. And then every now and then you forget that you've made that note to yourself and you visit them at their house or at their place of business and you, and you accidentally say that, how's the fishing going or how's the fill in the blank? And in that moment, you have lit their fuse. And they are, well, glad you asked because. And then they start telling about all the money they've spent and all the new stuff they've got. And they take you out to the garage. And then they drive you down to the storage unit. And then they show you the, the slideshow and the video roll. And, you, and you're like, oh, oh. Because that's important to them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a no-brainer. Jesus says, that's fine to accumulate stuff, but let that thing that you're obsessed with be heaven, not fishing. The, the number one thing, you understand what I'm saying? The number one, I've got more push bikes than I'm comfortable admitting to you right now, but, but my push bikes have not knocked Jesus off, number one. Number th- Second idea, stockpile instead what's valuable in heaven. Now, there's a company called Apple. Perhaps you've heard of them. 
they uh, invented in, and launched in 2007 a thing called the iPhone. And it wasn't the first kind of smartphone in the market, but it's certainly the thing that, that took smartphone technology forward. And since then, we've kind of all kind of been sucked into this black hole of, of living uh, by smartphone. And uh, a couple of years ago, Apple had a, an oops moment. They were like, what have we done? And they launched into their software a thing called Screen Time. And what they do is they push you a little kind of graphic once a week. I get mine at 9 a.m. Sundays. I'm here and it, and it pops up. A little graphic telling you what you've spent your time on in your smartphone, in your iPhone in this case, over the past week. It, it's a little bit shameful. It's kind, of in, it's kind of the cousin of Netflix, are you still watching graphic? Uh, uh, but it's not intended to be shameful, but it is intended to be an intervention. And so here's a classic, this isn't mine, but this could be mine, it could be anyone's, okay? So here's, here's what you'll, you'll see, you get the little notification and you tap it and, it's, and it says, shame, Emily, shame. Um, and then it will show Emily what she's, how many uh, minutes of, uh, of, of the day, days per week, through that week, accumulated time as well, that she spent eyeballs, on iPhone, 2.45. Now, some of you are thinking, is that daily or weekly? Look, it doesn't matter. For Emily, it is what it is. And then it'll tell you it's above average, titch, titch, titch. So we know that for Emily, that, that this was important enough for her to have invested two hours and 45 minutes of her week with her eyeballs on her iPhone, okay? Interestingly, we can find out a little bit more about what's important to Emily by drilling down into Apple's screen time. We get to see that, ooh, social networking made up two hours and 45 minutes. So she's not trying to create a new business model in those two hours and 45 on her phone. No, she's just scrolling through other people's lives. And then you think, well, not only can we tell if that social networking is somewhat important to Emily because she spent two hours of her 2 hours and 45 minutes in it, we can also see which platforms were important and which were the most uh, exciting to Emily, and it was Facebook, God knows why, YouTube, Instagram, and then messages, and if, you, if you, the shame hasn't overcome, you can keep scrolling and find out more. But we can find out a lot about Emily, about what's important to Emily, by just pulling up Apple's screen time. You know, I, can, I would be able to tell a lot about what's important to you by you showing me your calendar and your bank statement. Now, I'm not asking you to, but that's the reality. You could, you could tap the person next to you and you say, show me your calendar for the past week and show me your bank statement for, let's say, the past quarter. And without asking you a single question, without even knowing anything about you, you wouldn't even have to have met this person prior to them handing over their calendar and handing over their bank statement and you would just have a little scroll through and you would be able to tell what's important to them because we invest into what matters to us, where our treasure is, what matters to us, what's important to us, there our heart will be also, there our time will be also, there our resources will be also. And Jesus says, it's fine to stockpile, but stockpile what's valuable 
in heaven. One of the, the best books on a kingdom perspective on finance was written by a guy named Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. If you're a book person, make words great again. If you're a book person uh, or you like Audible or something like that, Randy Alcorn, The Treasure Principle. It's actually a very small book, but he drops this big old truth bomb in that book. He says, one of the biggest barriers to people giving isn't their lack of faith, though Mark Pomery's commentary, that is a barrier. But he says, one of the biggest barriers to people not giving to God's kingdom isn't lack of faith. It's actually believing that heaven is our home. If we think heaven's our home, then it makes perfect sense to invest everything we have into our time here, right? And yet if we start to get the revelation that there is an eternity that awaits us, there is a heaven on the other side of the grave for us, and we're gonna spend far longer there than we ever did passing through here, why would we make earth and investing into the things of earth the number one priority when it comes to our time and our finances? The illusion that earth is our home. Now, last week, in case you missed it, or a little bit of a rewind, I put up this slide. This is kind of uh, how a lot of people live, and, 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 and I said, this is payday. You get your equivalent, 1,000 units, $1,000, and, and throughout the course, between then and the next payday, you'll have given them out for mortgage or rent and car-related expenses and utilities and food, grocery-related expenses, and at the end of that period, literally have nothing left. And I said, though the bank calls this a, a savings account, it isn't. It's merely a money laundering service for these people to get this money from your employer's account into their account. You're not even in this graphic. You're the arrow. <laughs> You're providing a service. You're a money launderer. You are working for Pablo Escobar. So I said, here's a better idea. Go to the next slide. How about... The little white guy, put yourself, that's you. Put yourself, pay yourself, make sure that when you've got your income, that before you start laundering money into these other people's accounts, actually put some aside for yourself. And when I put this graphic up, <clears throat> all the spiritual people yelled out, oh, well, God's missing in that picture. And I'm like, oh, God, spiritual people, you make me sick. No one. <laughs> but it is true. And in fact, this is the order and the, and the pattern that we, that we use, Louis and I, and that we uh, here at Elevate recommend, that, that take your income, work hard, uh, make sure you're worthy of the income that you're, that you're being paid, that you're adding value to your workplace or you're running your own business well, that you're someone that, that is competing for the most valuable employee award week in, week out, that, that, that people are looking for ways to promote you and, and add some extra maybe to that $1,000. Fantastic. Be that. And then when it comes into your account, spending account, the bank calls it a savings account. It isn't. Spending account. Put God first, 10%. Pay yourself next, 10%. 
and then live off and learn to live off the 80%. Problem is with credit limits and personal loans, we no, not only do we not uh, live off the 80%, we live off 120%. And that's a problem. So here's, here's the pattern. We simply call this in words, uh, give, save, live. Give 10%, save 10%, and live off 80%. By the way, little, little, little fun fact for you is as God increases your world financially and or you learn to live on less, then that 80% figure can go down and the, those other two 10% figures can actually go up. I know, it sounds like a miracle, right? <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to tell you dollars, and I'm not telling this to brag, but Louis and I are currently at 15, 15, uh, 70. And we want the, <laughs> we, well, we don't think about the 70 much because it's just whatever's left, that can be laundered to whoever wants it because we've given God first and we've paid ourselves second, and we're ratcheting up the, the, the first and the second while learning to live on less of the third. And also, by the way, Louis keeps getting uh, promoted, so... I'm glad I was smart enough to marry her. I said, go, babe, go. These, these men who have a problem with their wives any more than them, screw that. <laughs> go get them, babe. Hunt that money. <laughs> Jeez. So I'm going to give you Mark and Louis' top three reasons why we give our first 10% to God. And, and, and by the way, let me pull them up. <laughs> by the way, I've struggled all week to, to, to name this. Because, like, I've named it Mark and Louis' top three reasons we give God first, and I get it. Like, this, this looks like the point where Elevate Church is about to become a cult, <laughs> where, where we stop teaching what God says, and we only teach what Mark and Louis says. And it's, it's not, it's not, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't call it that. But look, I, I told you I'd give you a flyover of why we give our, to God our first and best, and, 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 and this is our distillation as best as we can from having read what God says about giving. This is our distillation. This is, if I could just tell you the, the, the top three reasons, and in the order of priority, this would be the three. So it's kind of like we're smoking what we're selling. You understand? We, we do this, and we do what we teach you all to do. It's like we play by the same rules. We, we follow the principles of the same God. So I'm just saying we do this, and, and, and this is why, and this is the order of, of, of the priority of, of what we've learned, and we just put it into practice. That's all. It doesn't make us smart. It just maybe makes us obedient, which, you know, good job. We honor God. That's the number one reason we give God first, to honor him. Number two, we give God first to expand his kingdom. And number three... I'm just going to put it out there. We want God to bless us. It's on the list. And it's number three. But it's on the list. So let me break these down. Number one, honors God. You can just open the, the Bible, type in honor God, honors God, and it'll be boom, 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 boom. 
God says again and again and again, honor me, honor me with your first and your best. Honor me with your first and your best. So I just was like, well, I'm just going to pick one, throw it up there. So here's the one I picked, but I could have picked a bunch of others. It's not an isolated uh, uh, verse in the Bible. It's a principle that runs all the way through God's word. And this is what Solomon, God spoke through Solomon, the second wisest person that ever lived. Honor God with everything you own. So there's good. It's not just finances. Everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Honor God. Now, that could be the full stop, and it is a full stop. I just leave it there. I understand. Then he says, well, your barns will burst and your wine vats will brim over. Now, it's a metaphor for us today, but I want to live with my barns bursting and my vats running over. Absolutely. We'll go, oh, let me reverse engineer that for a second. How do I do that? Oh, huh. That's right. He just said Honor God with everything you own, giving the first and your best. But this would not have been a metaphor for the audience this was written to. This was an agricultural audience. And for an agricultural audience, it mattered that at the end of the harvest, whatever it was you were growing, the goal at the end of the harvest was to have your barns bursting and your wine vats brimming over because that was meant to last you all the way through until the next harvest. And if you didn't have your barns bursting and you didn't have your vats running over, there was a, there was a worry, there would have been a fear that we might not have enough to make it to the next harvest. So in that audience, to take everything you harvest, it would make 100% perfect sense to take everything you harvest and only shove it in the barn. And to take everything, all of the, the wine, because you didn't drink water back then because it wasn't sanitary, and so you fermented wine and you drank that to kill the, the bad bugs, not because you're, woohoo. No, it was, a, it was a thing, it was survival. So they would have made sure they had vats and vats and vats and vats and vats of wine because they didn't want to go thirsty until the next harvest. It would have just made sense. Shove it in the barn, shove it in the wine press. And yet God says, somewhat counterintuitively, I recognize that you need to have your barns bursting to last you through to the next harvest. I recognize that you need to have your vats brimming over to take you through to the next harvest. And yet, the way I want you to do it is to honor me with the first and the best. And I'll ensure that your barns will be bursting and your vats will be running over until the next harvest. You don't have to live with lack with the mindset of fear and poverty, if you honor me first. And, and he's trying to insert himself in the picture here to remind the people he's talking to that your harvest isn't your source, that I'm your source. I don't want you to put your ultimate faith and trust in your paycheck. Ultimately, put your faith and trust in me, and I'll help ensure that your paycheck will get you through until your next paycheck. Because if it wasn't a kingdom principle, because some kingdom principles don't look like the cultural principles that we're told we should live by. They do run counterculturally oftentimes. If, if in that culture there wasn't a kingdom pushback, what you would have likely have done is put all the good stuff in the barn and put all the good wine, uh, the good grapes in, 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 in the press 
and then take the crappy ones and, and go and drop them off at the temple and say, God, I got some leftovers for you, buddy. And he says, well, leftovers for me, leftovers for you. But who would want to live on God's leftovers? God actually says, I'll honor you if you first honor me. Give me the first and the best, and you'll open your life up to me, giving you, in return, the best that I've got to give. Number two, I said, number the second reason expands God's kingdom. Jesus said, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. And there's a lot of things we can store up. The number one thing that we can store up, the number one treasure we can store up in heaven is people. Is the people in our world, the people that God's called us as Elevate Church to reach, that don't yet know Jesus, that haven't yet made a decision to follow him, that haven't yet put their trust in him, the number one treasure we can store up in heaven is more and more people. And that's so important to Louis and I that we make that the priority with our finances to see God's kingdom expand. Now, some of you, just you don't have to put your hands up, but think about this for a second. Some of you may have heard it said, this, this, is, this is the quote, not by me, but this is the quote, God doesn't need your money. So, which sounds romantic, and it's kind of true, but here's the thing. God's plan for reaching more and more people, for seeing more and more people spend their eternity with him in heaven, wasn't abracadabra. It was the church. And that's why I said right back at the beginning, when we give, we don't give to Elevate Church. We give through Elevate Church. God doesn't need our money but God uses our money. God uses what we put to see his kingdom expanded. And the time, human resources, and the money, financial resources, that we invest into God's kingdom, it's to see God's kingdom grow. It's not just to have better quality coffee. Ah, delicious. And then the third reason, and we put it on there, it's, three, it's, it's, it's in there, but it's number three. And by the way, there was a spoiler from Solomon, honor God with everything you own, give him the first and the best, and your barns will burst, and your wine vats will brim over. This is a principle called sowing and reaping. It's a God principle. It's a universal principle. It doesn't just relate to finances. It relates to everything. What you sow, that's what you're going to reap. If you're a gossip, guess what? People are going to gossip about you. If you're a cynic, guess what? You're going to have a whole lot of friends hanging around you that are cynics. If you want great relationships, you've got to sow into those relationships and you'll reap relationships. Oh, haven't got any friends. Are you sowing into people to build friendships? If you're not, oh, duh, that you haven't got any friends because what you sow, that's what you're going to reap. It's a principle. Again, agricultural people would have known that. It's like, I know. <laughs> like you're actually taking up 
space saying this stuff that's just so obvious. And it is obvious. What we sow is what we reap. The nature of what we sow determines the nature of what we reap. And the amount of what we sow determines the amount of what we reap. And the timing of what we sow will determine the timing of what we reap. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. Duh. And a lavish planter gets a lavish crop. Early last year, Louis and I moved into our new old house. It's a 1956, two by one. We will add some space to it, uh, but for now, we're good. It's me, Louis, and the real chickens of Kensington, and uh, we're kind of making it work. Uh, but the backyard was just this it was just awful, barren and tree stumps and hadn't been looked after. The, the property had been a, a, a rental property for many, many years. It was just, it was horrible. And so part of our desire was to get in there and set up a sort of a you know, urban farm with some chickens and some stuff growing, stuff to eat and so on and so forth. And it actually, we had a bit of a run up, uh, about 10 months run up bef- before we moved into the house. We bought it, but uh, long story short, we had a run up. And so during the run up time, we were doing research because we wanted to hit the ground running when we finally got into the house. So we thought, well, we've got 10 months, just kind of, we should do we twiddle our thumbs or no, well, let's start researching. And so I'm researching about different things and chickens and so on and so forth. And, and we wanted to put in some, some fruit trees and some nut trees. And so I'm researching fruit trees. I'm researching nut trees. One of the nut trees that we wanted to grow is the macadamia nut. Now, there's a few reasons that we wanted to grow the macadamia nut. Number one, Aussie, 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 it's an Australian nut. So there we go. It was just the patriotic thing to do. Number one, put in a macadamia tree. Number two reason, incredibly healthy, probably the most nutritious nut, don't eat too many, very caloric dense, but most nutritious nut that you can get. Third reason, the most expensive nut that you can get. So if you want the nutrition, it's going to cost you, buddy. Well, I got a fix for that. I'm going to plant a tree. Screw you, Woolies. I'm planting my own macadamia tree. Ain't fighting me scavenging through the $57 a kilo macadamia nuts in the health food section, which, by the way, if there's a health food section, got to question what all the other stuff they're selling is. But anyway, I don't want to get into that. And... uh, so I start researching macadamia trees, how to grow them, ask the internet, how to grow a macadamia First website I went on to, headline, macadamia trees are a long-term project. And I'm like, huh. See, because long-term, it's a relative concept. Long-term compared to what? Well, turns out, long-term compared to everything. Because <laughs> the next line said, if you're lucky and you do the following things, and you take care of your macadamia plant, you may start enjoying your own macadamia nuts after the first eight to nine years. (laughs) Right. Well, I'm the sort of guy that likes a challenge. But here's the thing that was plainly obvious to me. If we wanted to eat macadamia nuts and not go broke, we would have to first plant a macadamia tree. A strawberry patch would not reap macadamias. So what we sow determines what we reap. 
The quantity of what we sow determines the quantity of what we reap. And here's the third thing I mentioned. The timing of what we sow determines the timing of what we reap. (laughs) For every year that we waited to plant, that timeline that was already pretty unimpressive, eight to nine years, would just blow out. For every year we waited. It would be, well, from now that you waited a year, boofhead, from when you first decided, it's now nine to ten years and ten to eleven years. So the first, <laughs> the first thing we did when we moved into our house is I went down the back with a shovel and planted a goddamn macadamia tree. <laughs> and the reason I share that story is some of you have yet to take your first step when it comes to honoring God with your finances. And we don't follow you around. We have an installed CCTV over your computer, you won't see the green light come on in your laptop and see me at the other end. <laughs> We're watching. It's about you and God. That's the transaction. That's the, that's the relationship. That's the connection. When it comes to giving, it's just you and God. <clears throat> the reason I shared the macadamia tree story is, is this is one of those messages. Like We teach on all, lots of different topics, but this is one of those messages that you can actually put into practice straight away. And it's actually measurable as to whether you did or you didn't. (laughs) Again, no one's going to follow you around. But if you haven't, and there may be reasons why you haven't, circumstances, maybe a faith issue, maybe a priority issue. Okay, it's going to be a different story for everyone. Can I strongly encourage you to start honoring God with a portion of your finances today. And here's what I would say. You don't have to start at 10%. In fact, don't even think of a percent, maybe. It's just like, just give five bucks. Yeah, I'm not a commission. It, it will nearly fill my Vespa, but that's not beside the point. Seven bucks does. Just start. Just start. Sow something today. If you're in debt, sow something today. Like Jared and Rochelle said, they wanted God involved in their journey. Start five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. I mean, woof, go wild and crazy. But today, today, now, we, know, we stopped passing the buckets last week, so there's no more buckets. All the more reason. People aren't going to be listening. Is it something that bounces or something that floats? <laughs> no one cares. So here's the deal. We've got a bunch of ways to give, and I'm done as soon as I roll you through these. There is a form orbiting near your posterior it's giving options. On that form, it has Elevate's bank account details. They are not Mark and Louis' bank account details. I promise. <laughs> They're Elevate's bank account details. And I have no access to those bank accounts either, just so you know. Uh, we've set it up that way. Uh, our bank, this is how Louis and I give. We, 
get paid, I get paid on fortnightly on a Wednesday, Louis on a Thursday, and boom, out it goes. We pay God first or give to God first using direct debits. It happens. If that's your thing, if you're already in the habit of doing that, you pay some bills that way, whatever it is, whatever, then that might be today's the day to get onto that. So that, the details are there. Take that with you. You're off to the races. Or our app, you can use our app. That's actually using credit card, which might not be a, a, a wise option for some of you, and we respect that. That's why it's only one of the ways to give, but it is a way to give. And if you're someone that's in the habit of paying your credit card balance off every month, then go right ahead. We put some new boxes in. Uh, at the back, they don't have uh, seven foot three Polynesian men standing next to them. You can just kind of walk, roll past and drop cash in there. Our team will collect that at 11.30, so tell your friends, don't bother breaking in during the week. There's nothing in the boxes. Some of you are the friends that need to know that as well, by the way. <laughs> Rough neighborhood. And, uh, and then we've got Albert uh, with our uh, team at the front desk. Uh, you can use FPOS, debit credit, all that sort of good stuff there. So, but listen, like I said, uh, I, have a, had a, I had the faith and have the faith enough to have believed that what I've spent the last 39 minutes sharing. I, I've been under the last couple of weeks, Jared. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> you all owe me four minutes. I'm taking them back with interest. But just had the faith enough today that for some of you, this is going to be the next step or the first step on a whole new world for you. Uh, a step that I took when I was 26, and this could be your day. And just start today with whatever that looks like. Start today.